Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, who, what, Wembanyama, where. The Lakers season is over, but their bright future is just beginning, and it all starts with the 2023 NBA Draft. So welcome to our intro to the 2023 NBA Draft, where we shall ease our way into a few prospects you should keep an eye on for the Lakers' number 17 pick. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. And Tommy, off of the top of your head, can you remember the last time the Lakers drafted someone in the first round? You have 30 seconds. You can't look on Google. Ooh, first round. Was it Mo Wagner? Ooh, good job. 2018, the Lakers drafted Mo Wagner, the infamous Magic Johnson Michigan pick, Mo Wagner, who... I think it's still a pretty serviceable role player at the end of your bench. But yeah, that was the Lakers' last first-round pick that they kept and actually selected. So yeah, will 2023 be the year the Lakers come back to the first round and actually keep their number 17 pick? We shall see. Tommy, of note in this draft, there are two clutch clients that Lakers fans should be familiar with, and that would be Derek Lively, who we'll talk about later in this episode, 7'1", Derek Lively, and six foot ten forward Noah Clowney, both clutch clients. So I guess we can end our draft analysis and podcast there. Goodbye. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so for this quick primer episode, we are going to talk a little bit about our outlook and philosophy for this 2023 NBA draft, and then we'll talk about three prospects in three different positional categories: center, wing, and guard, who may be had at the Lakers' number 17 pick spot. So, Tommy, quick first macro question for you, though. Do you think the Lakers will finally keep their draft pick this year, number 17, after years of willy-nilly throwing their first-rounders to the wind in different trades? Yeah, what are your thoughts? I think they will keep it. I think, you know, looking down the pipeline, it's hard to imagine them getting a better pick than this. And with the upcoming changes to the CBA, the the type of the quality of player we can get at 17 at the contract we can get him at is just going to be impossible to match anywhere else. Yes, I agree with you. I think they keep their pick, but they may trade down. So what are your thoughts about trading down? Because I've done up until this point, I've done a pretty comprehensive job of scouting the first round draft prospects especially in the Lakers range from about 10 to all the way up to 32 
But I think the Lakers are in prime position to trade down from number 17 to possibly use Malik Beasley's contract or Mo Bamba's contract and get an additional rotation player, maybe even a starter player in return, while still getting a later first round pick back. Do you have any problems with that thought process, or do you think that could be a potential scenario for them? I I think it could be a potential scenario. I'm sort of one of these people, maybe this is like too generalist, right? But I tend to be one of these people who views like, if you were the entire first round, certainly the entire lottery, and we're pretty like lottery adjacent with this pick, like it's kind of a crapshoot if you're outside of the top three to five, Mm -hmm. uh, three to five, depending on, you know, the given year. You know, dropping from 17 to 22, you know, well, the only the scouts can make the determination of like how big of a drop that is. But to me, it feels like you should still be able to get like the type of guy you wanted at that pick. Yeah. And so here are the two teams that I think are prime trade partners for the Lakers in trading down if they choose to do so. The Brooklyn Nets have number 21 and number 22. And they have been on record as saying they need to get off of their wings because they have too many. And they also have two older wings in Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal who kind of don't fit the timeline of any of their other guys to the point where once they traded for those guys, they totally forgot about Utah Watanabe because they had too many guys at his position, you know? So the Brooklyn Nets may be a good trade partner. And then there's the Indiana Pacers who have 26 and 29. They would also be a good trade partner where the Lakers could maybe get one of their players as well. I'm looking at you, Buddy Heald, or even TJ McConnell, something like that, right? And so here are some trade examples of what teams did trade down-wise in 2022. So in the 2022 NBA draft, the Sixers traded number 23 and Danny Green for DeAnthony Melton. They didn't get a first-round pick back, but that's an example of what you can do with your, like, mid to late first round pick they ended up getting DeAnthony Melton Danny Green was just the salary ballast for that I think that's a pretty good trade now examples of trading down to actually keep a pick would be the T-Wolves traded number 19 for number 22 and number 29 so if we go with the Lakers scenario of trading down to keep a first round pick and maybe also get a player in return instead of the number 22 pick maybe we get an actual starter level player so the T-Vols traded 19 for 22 and 29. Maybe the Lakers trade number 17 for Indiana's number 26 or 29, but also get Buddy Heald. I don't know. I don't know if the Pacers would do that, but that seems kind of fair to me. Um, the Rockets traded number 26 pick for Christian Wood, just straight up. They had a bunch of salary ballast, Sterling Brown, Boban, Marquise, Trey Burke, but they traded essentially just the number 26 pick for a Christian Wood expiring contract rental. And then Detroit traded Jeremy Grant and the 46th pick for the 2025 first-round pick of Milwaukee's top four protected, number 36 pick in that same year, and a 2025 second, 2026 second. But essentially, Detroit traded Jeremy Grant and their 46th pick for a 2025 first-round pick of Milwaukee's. I just bring up those trade examples from last year as sort of like a reference point for what the Lakers could do because really right now two trades that I'm looking at I've already kind of spoiled it is you know trading number 17 and Beasley's expiring maybe Mo Bamba and tossing in Shaq Harrison's deal if they need to for Buddy Heal, Jalen Smith and Indiana's number 29 pick and in the process we actually save money because 
Buddy Heald and Jalen Smith make less in totality than uh, Malik Beasley and Mo Bamba. So there's that deal. And then also I could see us trading number 17 and Mo Bamba's expiring for number 22 and Royce O'Neal, where in the process, Brooklyn gets a higher pick by five spots. Any thoughts on those two deals and could you see them being realistic possibilities? I do with this front office. I, I think we talked about this, like certainly around the trade deadline, right? But one interesting thing that I felt like was going on at the trade deadline, um, and even with respect to like some of the signings we made in the off season, is it does seem like there's a little bit more co- Maybe I'm imagining this right, but doesn't it seem like there's a little more cohesiveness between like the scouts and like what I'll basically refer to as like the bus bros and, and Rob Polinka? Like, yeah. It, it it feels like there's more, uh, I don't know. It feels like those guys are more in sync um, and they're sort of making moves together as opposed to like Rob just operating in a silo and then like the scouts just operating in the silo and the bus bros doing whatever they do. So it's like, I, you know, I like a lot of these ideas and I think the interesting thing is like you, you've sort of pointed out is as a recurring trend with these picks is like teams moving these sort of mid first round, like past the lottery type picks to get younger players who are a little bit more established and have really shown flashes of their upside. But, you know, they're more of a sure thing than like a completely unknown draft pick. Um, you know, you the DeAnthony Melton, the Christian Wood, I really like those examples. And, you know, the bus bros are, are going to be the types of, um, or are going to be the guys in our front office who identify like those types of guys. Um, so I could see us doing something like that. Yeah, I agree. And it, it'll be interesting to see what other trade concoctions they might come up with outside of Buddy Heald and Royce O'Neal, who are a little bit on the older end of the spectrum, but more surefire things. And then on top of it, the Lakers also kind of save money because their pick is moving down the first round, right? So all of a sudden from the 17th pick, maybe that guy's making $3 million. And you know, if you have the 26th pick all of a sudden, that guy's only making like 2.5 or something. And given the Lakers luxury tax bill, any dollar amount helps. Now, what type of player do you think the Lakers need in this year's draft? This is a hard question to answer, but given just what you've seen from Anthony Davis and LeBron James in these playoffs, like there are obviously three options. There's the big man to help AD sustain the end of his career. There's the, do we get another true three-level scorer who can get downhill to help LeBron James more? And that could be like a 6-5 guard. Or do you get the most obvious, like a true, more versatile wingman who can be more offensively versatile than, of course, a Jared Vanderbilt? So out of those three, are you leaning any one direction? Because I could make an argument for either. I I could make an argument for multiple. I think the two that are going going to be the most likely, right, I think are going to be a bigger wing and maybe a center the only problem with the center is i just don't know that there's going to be someone in that range who makes sense to use a first round pick on but with the bigger wing it's like you could think to yourself okay well we're bringing back Rui, we're bringing back um uh lebron obviously we're bringing back vando those are like three guarantees to come back next year and they're all bigger wings we also have max christie who's like six 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 seven like looming in the background and and showed some pretty good development this year so from that perspective one might think like okay do we really need a wing but i just i'm sort of of the camp that like you can never have enough and especially if you end up going upside um with your first round pick i you know i think I think getting a wing um, makes a lot of sense. I think like center 
is just like if we can find a cheap you know the thing about center right is you imagine like the walker walker kessler outcome mm-hmm. um where the jazz got him at like 12 or whatever from that go bear trade so like that like that would be nice i just in this draft i don't think there are that many guys i think like last year's first round i think had several uh centers that were sort of floating maybe in Mm -hmm. in this type of range but this year it it seems like there's the guy from duke right but um Mm -hmm. lively or whatever but there's there doesn't really seem to be anybody else that i've seen so far yeah i'll get into lively in a bit and i'll get into a prospect for each of these categories but i think the one thing that uh that kind of entices me about getting a center is you kind of get to hedge the middle in terms of there's upside in getting a center, but also with centers, you can kind of just throw them in, you know, without, you can just kind of plug and play them, especially if they're a defensive center, without worrying about, as as opposed to guards, whether they need to catch up to the speed of the NBA, especially if you're getting drafting a center with a good physique already and a good body mold. It's just like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like Andrew Bynum. He doesn't really need to know the playbook, but just throw him out there. Yeah, the first two years, maybe he's only averaging eight points and five rebounds, but you can already see how he's going to help you down the line, right? And you can still keep your win-now mentality going, whereas with if it's with a guard who needs a little bit of ramp-up time and is all turnover-prone and stuff in a team that you already have a slew of guards in or with, that's where it could be problematic. But before I get to my three prospects in these three categories, do you have any prospects in mind that you've even, like, looked at at all that intrigue you in this draft that who could be in the Lakers range the only one because you've sent him to me is uh <laughs> this guy Bilal from France and, and I will say I am heavily heavily he has impressive highlights but I'm heavily biased against him because his name is Bilal and there's a guy on 90 day fiance named Bilal who is like the worst human I've ever seen in my life Um, so hopefully the name Bilal doesn't carry these types of personality traits but if it doesn't at least from what I've seen in the highlights he looks pretty he looks pretty solid Okay, so Bilal Koulibaly fits my more versatile wingman who can sort of score category and he is Victor Wembanyama's teammate. He is only 18 years old, one of the youngest prospects in this draft. He is 6'6 with a 7'3 wingspan. And if you watch this dude's tape, his arms are like touching the floor at all moments, essentially. He has a pretty smooth jump shot, insane athleticism, put back dunks, hammer jams with his elite wingspan flaring out. He also has a nice frame to him, actually. He's not super scrawny like Ingram where you're like, oh man, he's just going to get tossed around. He actually already has a well-built foundational frame to him. He has the potential to be an absolute defensive menace. And then offensively, he's also kind of crafty. He needs to work on his handle, but at this stage at 18 years old, he's already got stuff to work with there. So here's kind of your Harrison Barnes, Andrew Wiggins, prototype with a little bit of scotty barnes vibes as well but from the tape that you've seen like what stood out to you with regards to kulabali i think like the wiggins actually point that you made is like really interesting because when you watch him play it does sort of feel reminiscent like those early clips of wiggins coming out of high school where he just looked like a giant gazelle like running around out there like this guy Bilal, uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna call him Bilal because, uh, but but Bilal, like he he does have that similar type of um, of movement in his game, like his fluidity of his of his movement. Um, it's not that easy as we've seen over the years, right? To like find big wings who can move 
with the ball on offense like that. I mean, like we all, we talk about this all the time, right? But we took Kyle Kuzma for granted when we had him because he is frankly one of the few like six, nine guys in the NBA who can do things with the ball off the dribble. He plays like a six, seven wing, but he's really like six, nine and, Mm -hmm. and sort of Bilal, like you kind of get similar vibes. Like he's super, he's, I don't know if he's six, nine. Do you, do you know? He's six, six, but with a good frame and seven foot three wingspan. So you've seen, you know, guys like Anthony Edwards, if they're six, six, it doesn't matter if their arms are long and they have a good exactly, frame. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, the seven, three wingspan is just obscene. It, it, so, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like, maybe that's why he looks taller to me out there on the floor, but he, you know, the way that he moves around, it's just, it's hard to find someone with those types of measurables. Like, of course the one key is going to be like, can he shoot from the perimeter? Because that's like kind of a deal breaker for that position in the NBA nowadays. But, but he shoots like Harrison Barnes, his form does at least. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, so we'll have to see how, what the scouts think about that. But otherwise it's like, you almost get the sense that if this guy was, you kind of like these Euro picks, right? Because you get the sense that like, if this guy was a U.S. player, he would be projected a lot higher. Yeah, I agree. All right, so that is Bilal Koulibaly. Keep a lookout for him. He may be in the 20 to 28 range. Maybe he'll rise to the 17th range by the time the draft happens. Why don't we take it to break here? When we return, we'll get to my two last categories of prospects to look out for in the center category and the guard category. So we will catch you guys after the turn. All right, so we are back. And for the center category, I want to bring up a guy who is gaining a lot of hype right now because of his clutch pro sports day videos and highlight real film tape. This guy is dunking the hell out of the ball. He's hitting corner three-point shots, looking very athletic. He's a seven-footer. So yes, moving on to the center category. So there's Derek Lively two, <laughs> Derek Lively two, Derek Lively the second from Duke. So let me describe his game to you a little bit and you tell me whether this sounds like a prospect that you would want at center. He is seven foot one with a seven foot seven wingspan. Oof. He is the number three high school recruit coming out of high school into Duke. He reminds me of Tyson Chandler slash Nick Claxton in their primes. Nick Claxton's in his prime right now. But this dude is a shot blocking menace. He blocks shots without fouling. He has really good shot-blocking timing instincts, which is another thing. He also has pretty good mobility to maybe defend on the perimeter, although that's always TBD with big guys. And then the thing that I like about him is he's not rail thin. He has a strong body frame to him already, so he won't get bullied around off the bat. And then some other ancillary like kind of skill sets that he has is he has some pretty good playmaking vision as a big man i'm not talking Jokic style but like he gets like two assists a game right he has some nice skip passes out of the post he's not a black hole he has good read and react instincts i he is not a shooter at all but if you've seen him take three-point shot attempts there is some potential there in his form he's not like rudy gobert he only shot like 63 percent from the free throw line but just form wise i think there's something there but that's not what he's going to be relied upon to do he is strictly a rim running offensive put back sort of guy who's who makes his name on the defensive end he only played 20 minutes this year and only I think he started 27 out of 34 games for Duke but in those 20 minutes he averaged five points five rebounds one assist and 2.4 blocks per 40 that's 10 10 two assists and 4.7 blocks so to me this is like Anthony Davis getting his JaVale McGee plus Tyson Chandler fusion 
who you could easily, yeah, you could just easily plug him in next to Anthony Davis. He doesn't have to know many plays, just block shots, rebound, rim run, and roll. What are your thoughts on getting a Derek Lively the second? I know we've been going down this route of just making AD the primary five, and it does pose some interesting questions of whether you need to or you can play two bigs in the starting lineup and muck up your spacing again. But I think in an 82-game regular season, to get to this point where we have a more consistent AD at the five menace, I think it will be important to get a legitimate big man next to him to sort of stem the tide for us. But but does Derek Lively sound like the sort of center that you're looking for? He does. And I actually like, you know, listening to you talk about him, like, and listening to this context, right, about like how, how we were sort of projecting to use centers moving forward. I think... You know, to your point about the trade down, if he's still going to be available in a trade down, that could be an opportunity to dump Mobamba somewhere and basically replace what Mobamba would have been in next year's mm-hmm. rotation. Like, I'm not saying he starts alongside AD game one. Um, I am, I do think though that it gives you like an option to have like a backup. Uh, you know, maybe he doesn't get rotation minutes his first year, his second year in the playoffs, but he is an option. Um, you know, you're going to need guys to carry you for 82. And we saw this year how painful that could get for 80 and our other, you know, the ref, frankly, the rest of our roster when you were playing criminally undersized the entire season and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, just puts a lot of pressure on the rest of your defense. So, you know, I know that there are some who think like, you know, we only have one first round pick. We only have one MLE. So those guys, those better be used on guys who are guaranteed to be rotation players in the playoffs and to that i just respond like we already kind of have a top seven top eight even like that's coming back next year um maybe dennis is the wild card but you know like we're fairly well set in that regard so like i think we need to think a little bit more long term not necessarily getting a pure project player but like who can also help us like get through the 82 game season and getting a cheap cost controlled center i think could could do that Yeah, I totally agree. So guys, look out for Derek Lively the second. Now, keep in mind that because Derek Lively is one of only three other first-round rated centers in this draft, he may not be at the Lakers' number 17 range. So we will see. But that's the problem with having a first-round draft class that is very scarce and sparse in the center category. It's likely that some team before the Lakers will draft for need, and also just draft for talent because Derek Lively is very talented. So it remains to be seen whether or not Derek Lively will be there at number 17. But in other mock drafts, he's also fallen to the early first, mid first round as well. So like 20 to 25. But but yeah, we shall see. So the last category and one that is I didn't think that I would be drawn to at all and I would just kind of throw to the wayside. The last category is another true three level scorer who can get downhill who is not a wing. So this is a guy who's six, five and under. And as you know, from listening to this podcast and just like we're over the six, five and under guys. Right. And so it was even surprising to me to see how many guys six, five and under that I was drawn to in the Lakers range this year. I was just like. Oh man, what's happening to me, you know? And so I want You're to turn into Rob Palinka. I'm turning into Rob Palinka. God damn it. You turn into the person you hate the most, right? So <laughs> <laughs> So I want to bring to light Nick Smith Jr. out of Arkansas. 
He is 6'5", but he does have a 6'9 wingspan, which is pretty impressive. He was the number two high school recruit coming out of high school. Derek Whitehead was number one, and then, as I mentioned, Derek Lively was number three. But he was the number two high school recruit, so he definitely has pedigree. But knee injuries derailed his college year this past year, and even when he came back, he was heavily minutes managed, so he only played like 25 minutes a game. But this guy has tremendous upside. His statistics don't tell you the tale at all. He averaged 12.5 points, 1.6 rebounds, 1.7 assists on 38% from the field, 33% from three. Like, just totally take that out the window. And if you actually just watch his game tape, including the context from his high school, this guy is one of the more exciting and versatile scorers that you'll find in college basketball. He has a great floater, definitely a three-level scorer, tough shot maker, can get absolutely hot from three, and he can take it downhill. I think he has to work on his frame. He's a little wiry and thin right now, but in terms of what you can expect out of him, he's a really good shooter. He can get hot from three, and he's just very crafty. So how I would describe him, Tommy, is what do you think about getting like an Emmanuel quickly Tyrese Maxey type player to add to this roster? I know it sounds weird because you already have D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves, but what do you think about adding a that type of player? I think it's it's an interesting option pending like what they view as like the I guess pending what they view as like the backup point guard situation. Like like you mentioned, like with like it seems like at this point I would be pretty surprised if they didn't do everything in their power to bring D'Lo back. Not just because of his performance, but just because it's like I think they know they can't afford to lose that asset, right? Like that was the main asset that came back in the rust trade Mm -hmm. um, and probably a big part of the reason they spent a first round pick um, to consummate that trade. So they're going to need him back. Austin is just like obviously going to be back. We have, like I mentioned, Max Christie looming, right? Do they view more as a three? Do they view more as a two? So like it starts to get into a point where, you know, you don't have to play your first round pick, um, his first year, but all three of those guys I just named are young guys. So if you don't have a vision for where that guy fits in the pipeline, I, I just, I think it's a little risky. Although you, you know, the skills you described are like definitely skills that like most teams would want. I just think that like when you go with a wing, you give yourself a little bit more versatility. It's so funny. It's almost like the opposite of like what the scouting was like in like the nineties and early two thousands. It's like, mm-hmm. you didn't want the tweener type players, yeah. but now it's like everybody wants tweener type players because like you can just plug them in in multiple roles. Yeah. It's interesting because I agree with you, but I'm envisioning Dennis Schroeder going out the door. And so if that's the case, it wouldn't hurt to have a guy who, you know, can develop into at worst, at worst, Jordan Clarkson. You know, because it yeah. also you can kind of also hedge your bets with D'Lo and Austin Reeves because D'Angelo Russell is not exactly young anymore. He's going to be 28 next year, you know, and who knows what happens after two years. It would benefit a guy to learn under D'Angelo Russell. And then with Austin Reeves, you know, I assume he's going to be a good player from here on out. But, you know, you might want insurance for that as well. So getting a guy who at worst could be a six man scoring type off the bench, but at best may turn into a Tyrese Maxey like jamal murray type player i I don't know it's 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 interesting that i'm even thinking of it that way but some of these guards are very tantalizing in terms of what they can do offensively and um yeah we'll see um lastly the two names that you have to look out for because of rob palinka would be jet howard from michigan he's a 6'8 sniper he is juan howard's son 
Um, he is a really good offensive player and shooter, though he's not that athletic, so that raises some concerns. But just because of the Fab Five Juwan Howard connection, look out for Jet Howard, 6'8 sniper. And then also look out for Kobe Bufkin, 6'5 combo guard who can defend out of Michigan as well. A Michigan guy named Kobe, I'm not sure Rob Palenka can help himself. <laughs> He's a yeah. really shifty and strong athletic guard who can also defend. So an interesting two players out of Michigan who could be in the Lakers range. So I'll get more into my thoughts on those two guys later, including when Tommy gets a look at some of these guys. But all that said, like there are just a lot of good players that the Lakers can sort of tinker and work with in their range whether they stay at their spot or they move down and also get like another role player like a Royce O'Neal as well so it's going to be interesting what they do it's just kind of nice to have all these options you know because you have set for yourself a pretty good basis and foundation of what your team next year looks like right and I think that's the most encouraging part we've gone into these drafts Tommy the last couple years not knowing even who we are identity wise now it's kind of like you can literally fill in the gaps and move from there with more of a unified vision. So yeah, let's see what happens. So that'll do it for our intro to the 2023 NBA draft. We shall have more NBA draft content coming up where we will explore and introduce new prospects who could be in the Lakers number 17 range or who could even be there towards the latter end of the first round as well. We will assess their strengths and weaknesses. But for now, we hope that was a good little palette teaser and primer for the 2023 NBA draft, even though we only got into really three NBA prospects. I like to think that we helped set the table and landscape for how we're viewing this upcoming draft. So yeah, this is just a teaser. Stay tuned for more draft content coming up. And with that said, Tommy, I will catch you later. Peace. Bye. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.